listening to highlights from One Planet podcast interview with Anders Leverman, head of research department complexity science at Potsdam Institute. You are at the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research. Tell us what you do there and how your work there can be implemented towards a societal and systemic change. We are actually covering the full range of the climate problem from the physical basis. We are computing the tipping points of the climate system. We compute the increase of extreme events under future warming all the way via the agricultural impacts of climate change, the health impacts of climate change towards the development of sustainable solutions that allow them to curb down the carbon dioxide emissions to zero because, and that's a a physical statement, it's of, of great importance. We basically need to be at zero carbon emissions globally if we want to stabilize the temperature of the planet. So in, in a sense, this is the most important contribution of climate science over the past decades. And it's obviously, since it's a physical statement, it's going to hold for the future. It actually has to be basically zero carbon emissions globally, which means that it's not enough to do less. Zero is something that it's scary for some people with implementing certain roadmaps, get 100% renewable energy in a decade. Are you as optimistic or what can we do? I would like the market to decide because we need to obviously keep all the freedoms that we fought for over the last centuries. We need to keep in place democracy, we need to keep in place the free market, the property rights, and so on, while at the same time acknowledge that our planet and a number of our resources are finite. I think the civil society in form of governments, for example, is supposed to set the goals of what the limits that we can't cross with respect to carbon emissions. And then the speed is in a sense decided, I hope, by the speed of the economy racing towards zero emissions. Because if you look into the past, the economy is is generally faster than we can imagine if you set the right incentive structure. What technologies do you believe that are reliable for helping us to reach the net zero goal? The solutions that I know about are sustainable large regional solutions because at the moment the strong players are solar energy and wind energy there's hydropower and a number of other smaller contributors the big question is can we get these in with a steadiness that allows prosperity of society and you can achieve the steadiness by storing energy for intermediate periods of time and by distributing over a large region it's possible to be 100% renewable without that nuclear safety net? At the moment, the nuclear option is very limited, right, in both percentage and also in the distribution around the world. And the problem with nuclear, there are so many dangers associated with nuclear power. The reason why nuclear cannot really be a global option is because uranium is a finite resource. And, And that means that if you really want to use nuclear on a larger scale, then you very quickly have to go to plutonium. People who advocate nuclear power often are also worried about the security aspects of geopolitical, political and security aspects. And that very often ends the conversation simply because you want to give everyone electricity. I think we should try to find solutions that work rather on 
collaboration between countries, which allows to have larger net capture renewable energies over a larger area, which makes it more stable. If you combine it with storage facilities and with a smart grid, then go for the nuclear option. And in terms of not emitting, um, getting to zero emissions, there are some technologies trying to cool the atmosphere. I don't know what you think about any of these kind of adaptive measures. You have to distinguish two very different ways of so-called geoengineering, um, and that is cooling the planet artificially by some kind of technology. The one category of geoengineering is somehow getting carbon back out of the atmosphere. That is trying to undo what we are doing by burning coal, oil, and gas. This can, however, be associated with a lot of technical problems. But you see, we are doing a lot of things to the planet anyway, right? At the moment, we don't have any technique that is scalable to what we have done in the past or even get close to the amount of carbon that we put into the atmosphere if we continue on our current combustion path. Right. The second category, however, is of geoengineering techniques, however, is much more worrisome. And that is somehow reflecting sunlight back into the cosmos and, and not letting it stay on the ground. Now, these techniques are quite dangerous because they're not undoing what we are doing. They're reflecting sunlight. So it's a different cooling pattern with which you try to counter the warming pattern. Right? That's the one thing. So they're not undoing what we're doing. But more importantly, they generally rely on us constantly providing something, changing something in, in the atmosphere. And the carbon dioxide that we put up in the atmosphere is going to stay there for hundreds of years. So any countermeasure that we would have to do, we would have to be installed also for hundreds of years. And if it's something that relies on societal action, a lot of people think climate change is about avoiding the extinction of mankind. And in my opinion, the climate change is about putting pressure on society and disrupting society to an extent that it can't function properly anymore. So my greatest fear is that if we don't combat climate change, the weather extremes will hit us with a frequency and intensity that we will not be able to recover after each impact, and then we will start to fight with each other. I think that societal achievements of the last centuries are so precious and so important that we need to preserve this at all costs. The greatest threat of climate change is that if we don't tame it, it will disrupt this development of humanity and will plunge us all into wars and civil wars. You've also called for a greater transparency or publicly available information to do with our supply chains. What does that mean? What do you envision? The question of supply chains is touching a different issue. We have the necessity to prevent climate change that we can't manage anymore, that becomes so strong that we cannot handle its impacts. That's the question of how fast can we curb down the carbon emissions such that we stabilize the temperature of the planet and thereby our society. But even if we change the way we create energy and stop emitting carbon, then we have already caused climate change because we have already warmed our planet by more than one degree Celsius. We will have further warming in the next decades. And that is something that we have to adapt to. We will see a disruption of the economic supply chains. We have seen a globalization of the economic world. And, and that is why it is no longer 
the only threat to society to be hit directly by climate change impacts. But if something else happens somewhere far away, this can also impact a society much down the supply chain. An example is the big flooding in Thailand in 2014, after which the uh, hard drive in, in the supermarkets in, in Europe and the US doubled in price. That was only a small hiccup, obviously, but you could already feel a remote impact in the supermarket at home, if you like. This was just as, like a small hint on what might lie ahead, especially if the impacts become more and more frequent and stronger and stronger. You can imagine that what can happen is that if impacts occur at different places on the planet, flooding here or a heat wave there, and then they're mixed with political impacts like a strike in some place or the conflict between countries in another place, then these impacts can propagate along the supply chains within the economic world and actually self-amplify because they have something that in physics you would call a resonance effect. These kind of effects we don't see yet very much, but it is quite likely that this will happen in the future. What are the key things that you concentrate on? And I guess, and your message to young people, what would you like them to know, preserve? We have a dilemma in society, is that we are living on a finite planet with finite resources. But it is somehow in human nature to constantly evolve and change. Every generation wants to be different than the generation before. Every person needs, to, needs a reason to get up in the morning and do something. We cannot, you know, in a democratic world, we cannot prescribe what this motivation should be, what these people should be doing. But at the same time, we have to respect the limits of our planet. And this dilemma of perpetual motion within society and the finiteness of our planet has led to a number of ideas. For example, people have said we cannot grow economically all the time. And, and that has led to the idea of degrowth in, in the economy. However, if growth is the engine, the motivation of humans to get up in the morning and do something, then that's nothing that you really want to avoid, right? In order to get the society functioning. But if this growth is then not decoupled from any destruction of nature, of any decoupled of any use of resources, but it simply gets the meaning of a battering of life, then it becomes interesting. Then we might actually be able to resolve this apparent dilemma. Because what people consider to be a better life is changing all the time. So... If the value system is evolving with each generation into the future, we can actually have perpetual motion within society towards a better world if this better changes all the time and at the same time keep the limits of our planet, keep the integrity of our planet as the highest priority. And we start to do this also in economics. In Germany, the new generation is not necessarily interested in having a bigger car than the neighbor or a bigger car than the um, parents' generation, but they're more interested in getting comfortably and fast from one place to the other, independent of the means. So that's a shift in the value system that actually uh, means that I can make my world better without using more resources. 
And that's kind of my personal way out of the dilemma. That's what brings me hope. And, and I think is a new principle that we need to adapt and replace the perpetual growth with the principle of folding. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click subscribe. Thank you for listening.